Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, it's Cameron McHarg. We're back for another episode of Triumph and Disaster. And this week I have Mark Pellington on. And if you don't know who he is, Mark Pellington basically uh, was very instrumental in really the creation of what MTV was and how big that it got. Um, he was one of the guys responsible for doing a lot of those really, really cool promos in the early days and then became a really, really huge, prolific music video director himself. He did uh, the famous Jeremy uh, by Pearl Jam video, did uh, Rooster, the Allison Chains Rooster one, U2 one. He went on to do, you know, videos from Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen and Public Enemy and the list just goes on and on. And then he went and parlayed that into becoming a film director, which he's done six films now so far. One of my favorites, which I, I really love this movie, is called Arlington Road. Uh, it's with Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins and some others. If you haven't seen it, check that out. I'll put everything up on the blog, triumphanddisasterblog.com. And uh, he he did a movie called I Melt With You, which he did. He basically financed himself. He talks about it in this episode. Um, it's a small movie, a, a dark movie. And uh, it was during a dark period in his life, which he talks about, and he, he basically used his art to get through it, which I admire. And uh, he's past that now, and he just finished a movie with Shirley MacLaine, which is a comedy, which sort of in the um, vein of like Hal Ashby and Noah Baumbach, and he talks about that as well, and, and I'll have everything up on the blog. Um, but he's a true artist. He's a true artist. And, you know, I got to admit, I, one of the things that I do, I don't know if this is a flaw of mine or not, but I, ju- <laughs> I judge people by their books and their movies. When I see bookshelves or movies, I go through it all and I, I feel like I, I learn a lot. I don't know if judge is the right word. I make some sort of assessment. But um, so, you know, when I was in his office, uh, he went out for a little while and I was just kind of checking out his books. And, you know, it was just full of really, really cool stuff. Hubert Selby Jr. and Bukowski and William Burroughs and a lot of just really, really cool stuff. And, um, it really is reflective of, of the kind of artist that he is. And he talks a little bit about these things. He's a big fan of poetry. And he really is kind of a poet himself. He really is. And a great guy. And we've agreed to do another episode. Uh, we could have talked for hours. Easily, easily talked for hours. So we're going to do another one. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. If you have any um, questions or anything that you want him to uh, to talk about, um, you can always contact me at triumphanddisasterblog at gmail.com. And I answer everything. So we're looking forward to that. But what I would like to talk about next time um, is his process. If you go to his website at markpellington.com, he has a whole area uh, called the process with subcategories like catharsis, intuition, chaos, identity, mortality, spirit, memory, and processing. And I thought about reading all those things because they're really interesting, but I don't really like to, I'm not one of those guys that likes to just kind of listen to the sound of his own voice, and, you know, it would take a little while. So hopefully we'll talk about that more uh, in person next time, and you can just go there and read about it. And um, I hope you enjoy. I hope you really enjoy, and I'm really looking forward to doing another one. And uh, here's Mark Pellington. This is it. So you just have to I'll probably – well, I'll probably keep everything in, so you just kind of keep the mic up sort of close to your mouth. So, all right, Mark Pellington. I'm in your office here. I've been here for like five minutes. We've just been already shooting the shit. And I had to just hit the record button because it's been too good. (laughs) So I'm 54. Uh Uh-huh. And 
realize I've been making stuff without any training to make stuff since 1984 when I started with MTV. So with no permission, pretty much from no, no any st- no training, and I yeah. Knew I loved music, so I got a job at MTV. But I've been doing it so that's. In 84, so that was like high peak, like with the astronaut on the moon commercial thing, 84, but Billy Idol and all that. I interned in 83, between my third and fourth year in college, and then 84, the fall of 84, I got a job there. I was lucky enough to get a job as a production assistant in On Air Promos. So On Air Promos was responsible for the look and feel of the channel, the visual marketing of it, how the attitude and uh, energy of the channel was visually and sonically conveyed to the audience. Which was very sort of punk, I think, at that time, right? Second ideas was very artistic, it was very subversive, there was no limits on time of 30-second spots. It was, it was a free-flowing miasma or collage of videos and promos. There was no shows. Yeah. There was no programming. The videos and everything and promos were all run in a 24-hour cycle at a it's called the NOC out of Long Island. And so if you made a promo and it's 65 seconds, fine. If it was 33 seconds, it didn't matter because all it was was just one endless right. stream. So total freedom with that. Total freedom. And so I had graduated from college, was totally into music, was totally into journalism, and loved New York and spent the summer there interning and loved New York. So, you know, I mean, the, the good thing is that all of this, I always point, I like to point people to a bio on my website. Mm-hmm. My website has everything I've made, rarities, old MTV things. Uh, it describes the process of how I work, all the videos I've made, rarely seen stuff in a place called The Vault, my stills, and I really created it to make it a pretty comprehensive historical site that uh, there's pilots on it that never aired, that if ABC or CBS knew I had them up there, they would say, take them down, say, I don't know. <laughs> the point being, here's the work, here's a little bit of an insight into the work. So over 30 years, in the last few years, about three or four years ago, there was a spate of showing some stuff at schools, Columbia College in in Ohio or USC, where somebody said, oh, can you show your videos? It was usually show your videos over the years. And when I did, like when anybody looks at, like when you look at your own work, you see patterns, you see themes, you see stuff emerge. Mm-hmm. And I realized from my 20s, 30s, and 40s, there was a pattern that had emerged. So I said that my 20s was about speed. Mm. New York City, you're young, your blinders are on, mm-hmm. you don't give a fuck about anything other than consuming as much art, drugs, mm-hmm. alcohol, imagery, music, <laughs> as you can. So New mm-hmm. York was this great kind of explosion, and I was lucky enough to be at MTV, where you could walk down the hallway and meet Jean-Michel Basquiat or the Beastie Boys. Or Holy or shit! Or watch every video <laughs> made. Pretty much, I'd sit in my office and watch every video made and say, oh, that's, that's a cool video. And there was new shit being done in videos every for years, too, all the time, right? you get the image reel, they'd say, you'd go down and you'd go to a program and say, can I get this week's image reel? So our job is 
in promos was to make promos out of usually at that time it was the hit videos like or Michael Jackson video here's a right. promo for that but what I like to do is take images from the videos that nobody ever showed Cabaret Voltaire uh, experimental stuff from England uh, the Dead Can Dance whatever uh-huh. the bands on IRS records in LA I'd be like I would take like a piece of time lapse a piece of stock footage a piece of some object and make these spots with those images and some press type and my own sound and make little collages. Right. So it was really just found footage was the imagery from the video kind of influenced by like the Dadaists or collages. Uh-huh. William Burroughs. It was like, ooh, making something new out of something that existed. So that was my primary kind of influence it's stuff that I pretty much did for two years before I ever shot. Anything. Before you shot anything. Before I shot anything, I was making stuff out of existing stuff. And that kind of that kind of lent a hand to uh, you. You okay? So just so people know, like the Pearl Jam Jeremy music video was that's you. You directed yes. that. And uh, I mean, maybe maybe some young millennials might not be aware of this. I don't know if they're, but anybody older than that knows what this video is. And um, among a million other big videos that everybody has has seen and and is familiar with, there's kind of a certain, there's, there's almost kind of a certain, I don't know if I want to say look, but feel kind of a zeitgeist of music videos from, I want want to say early nineties or throughout the nineties. There's sort of a thing that I that you are basically responsible for, I think, and it it comes. There's a certain thing when you're talking about this uh, this mixed uh, collage and all these this uh, this thing that you were doing apparently before you started shooting. It sounded certain image. There's image. There's there's things, and it's hard for me to articulate. But it's if you could show it, you can know what it is. You know, and there's like a certain thing that I think is a signature from you. Sure, yeah, you have to. Yeah. It's really across the board in any medium. It doesn't matter. You're only like, have you had some degree of visibility, um, artistic credibility, fiscal credibility uh, in any medium? And you can go up and down and you can be hot in one medium and cool in another. It doesn't matter. You just keep doing the work. So over the years, I've always just tried to do it. Been fortunate enough to have Sixth movie, 
was great, but boy, was I really itching to do something experimental, just purely visual after that. I was just going to say... Music videos are essentially experimental film, aren't they? I mean, at least at least they used to be, or with some people they were. I think they can be. They can be portrait. They can be. They can be commercials. They, they, yeah. I love them because they're just. I love music and I love emotion and I love the freedom. Here's a perfect example. In the last three weeks, I directed two commercials. Two. Two pharmaceutical commercials where the aggregate budget for the two commercials was not a lot. It was, let's say it was close to $500,000. Very nice people, very simple tasks, Mm -hmm. very, very specific and not sexy creative. Mm -hmm. Very very clear what they were with a lot of tools available for you to make that 15-second commercial one-day shoot shoot it. Also made in one day, shot three music videos, three performance pieces <laughs> in one day at my house with a crew of four for an artist named Emma Ruth Rundle. This beautiful with three lenses, three anamorphic lenses, a crew of four people, one underwater, kind of one under one in the water at night, one in a room, one outside in natural light. Super small crew, and it'll end up being a kind of when they're all tied together, it'll end up being like maybe a 15 minute music film, performance film for under $5,000. So, when you say, okay, so when you say, uh, it, it, like doing this commercial or these commercials affords you the ability to do something like that, that. yeah. Yes. So, just like with a movie star, some they might say, one for them, one for me, yes, one for the meal, one for the real, right, right, right. So, Narrative or, or more commercial narrative? Is that. Because I've, I've done great, ex- crazy, expressive, very personal commercials. I've told stories in commercials that are incredibly unique and personal and made two minute little films out of a. for a healthcare commercial that I love, that are just, this, just as unique as a music video, mm-hmm. even with a longer version of them, is. To me, a little beautiful two-and-a-half-minute music video, it just so happens that it supported the initiative of the United Healthcare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They about trauma. At the end of the day, at the end of trauma, there's always a tiny glimmer of hope, no matter how bad it is. Like, that was the operative story, and so created four of those. That was a few years ago. But making those had the same degree of freedom and trust that making these pieces for Emma had. The difficulty in getting movies made and TV is that those are bigger machines that require far more amounts of money and time to get made. And more and more and more and more and more people want to make them. And it's just very difficult. Mm-hmm. There you're knocking your hand and your hat in hand. Mm-hmm. 
I was just going to mention that, actually. Yeah. Like maybe in the vein of being there type of thing or You're five years sober right now? In four, four years? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
which in certain respects is not crazy long. It took about a year and a half to say, great, we want to make it to getting the financing, even up to the very end of the start date getting pushed. But from the time that, you know, you're always, are you going to make the movie? Are you going to make the movie? So Shirley and Amanda Seafried, we shot for 25 days. We finished it. Bleaker Street's releasing it next March. Nice. It's interesting to come from those guys. Yeah, yeah. The old guys. Interesting. That I didn't have the confidence just to sit there and put the camera down. That doesn't mean when six minute scene that I love and I melt with you of them going through the immediate aftermath of somebody killed themselves and it's handheld and it's kind of erratic. Mm-hmm. I love it and it was the right choice for how to shoot that scene mm-hmm. and capture the performance. But it's really letting performance of the actor and the story be number one, not Putting the actor in your shot that says, oh, right. this is what I want to feel. Like, I feel isolated and neglected, so I'm going right. to isolate and neglect the character. And sometimes those poetic touches can be effective in smaller measure. It's just restraint. So yeah. Moves, I'm like, I get it. There were certain takes with Shirley McLean. 
fucking automatic, and after two takes, you're like, I'm done. Yeah. Or you're sitting on a two shot, there's one scene on the, on the steps. And surely, it was interesting getting Shirley into a modern rhythm of like, do it, do the scene. Just like maybe it's a page in the quarter scene. Do the scene, just do it again. Just keep doing it. We're not going to cut, we're not going to cut. Just keep, mm-hmm. keep going. She'd never worked that way before. She loved it. Took her a little while to get used to it. She loved the kind of stream of consciousness feeling. Don't worry about your mark. Mm-hmm. She got into that I love that. At the beginning, she didn't. So I would learn from her. I would say, just walk in the door and sit down. Like for her, it was never that simple. It's never that simple for a great actor and their craft. It's never that mundane. Uh-huh. Even though you as a filmmaker say, story, <laughs> she comes in and she sits down. Now, is she coming through the door? Is she impatient? Right. Is she... Did she just see a car wreck before she came in or something? Yeah, right. Right. What is her feeling of it? She was a dancer. What is my movement? So I learned a great deal from her. I think she learned a different way of making it from me. At the end of the day, actors are actors are very neurotic, and I feel they're very different than musicians or poets. Yeah, they're, they're they're a different machine. And I learned a great deal from her and the great, the, the long-winded way of saying that at the end of the day, I look at the movie and it's like, it just sits there and observes, it trusts the story, it trusts the production design. It's, my friends who saw it said, it's definitely your movie, but it's very kind of like held back. And I like that. Yeah, I think that's really, really fascinating that you're doing that. I like it, and I hope that people, that we showed it to three audiences, and they really dug it because they like the character. They like the story. They love the characters and the investment in the characters, and that's what people go to the movies for. They don't leave a movie saying, oh my God, that was the greatest cinematography in the world. Some do, but if the cinematography is interesting on top of a great story, that's great. Is it the the Irish music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. (laughs) I've seen it like three times. (laughs) I haven't seen that. I'm gonna put that on the blog. Sing Street. All right, we'll put that up. They are in an untraditional way. Yeah. That would make sense for you to, to go in that direction, I think. Now, I made a movie, I made a 55-minute film with a singer named Chelsea Wolfe that's on my set that I love. And in retrospect, it's 
four performances woven together with a, a story, but a very, very unconscious story. And if you've ever seen any um, um, Jodorowsky movies, like I, I'm a huge fan. Holy Mountain and El Topo, and yeah. If you look at that or a Tarkovsky movie, which I love to immerse myself in. Another big fan. Very, very hard to actually watch it. It's going to be much easier if they're going to make. And I look at this movie, and I'm like, it's like that, but there's not enough narrative. And it's 52 minutes. It's like in between. Okay. If, if it's 75 minutes, it's a movie. If I had framed it with another story going through an actor it might have been interesting so it reminded me of like when I saw Under the Skin oh yeah yeah that's great so the inspiration from Loan Chelsea Wolford was like okay how do I do this again it's more like Pina you know what I mean like performance like Chelsea's an amazing singer so her performance is very cinematic I love it. It freed me up. Again, we made a 50-minute film for $50,000. It was four days of shooting. Again, just like, fuck off, get the cameras, get interesting people, interesting objects, in interesting locations, and you can never go wrong. That's the and sometimes I don't even like to know what I'm making there. Half of it, I wasn't sure what it was until we were actually making it, which is the best way to get to a subconscious that is such a gift that you're able to do that. It's amazing. It's amazing. No, never, never. Absolutely, no. It's a sin. It's like I think the only the only thing that I think works just as well or fine is would be like a broad comedy or something like that on a on a TV or something like that. But other than that. Yeah. 
character-driven, verbal, but just there was a tone that I found I couldn't, when I watch it at home, I have a big screen at home, it's, it's that old adage of like, the environment's dominating too much of the experience. Whereas actually if I play it on a laptop on my chest, and can trick my brain. I yeah. Can trick my brain into being like, oh, I'm in the theater. Right, because you're up close and yeah. Then, then I can do it. Then oh, with oh. headphones and it, sixteen inches from me on a pillow, I can get to that big screen experience. Right. That I can't if I'm sitting here. Yeah. Plus. And you always know there's like this, uh, you have, there's an, a free, there's an option. You can always pause it. There's, there's some things, there's all these things. And, you, and when you're in the theater, you're at the, you're at basically the filmmaker's mercy. You're just there for the duration. I mean, you can get up, but essentially, you're, you know, there's no stopping it. Yeah. And just like on a big screen in this movie, I guess they played at Venice that Netflix bought, but only for Netflix, and it will they'll have a hard time getting a theatrical distribution if Netflix has already bought it for streaming. Like, so who wants to come in second and say, "Great, well, it's in theaters, but right. it's in theaters after Netflix." Right. It's a filmmaker, and you're like. Yeah, exactly. You want people to see it. And you can always go screen it on a big screen. You can always have those screenings. But like even I remember this conversation with Andrew Carpenter, the head of Bleecker Street, who's releasing our movies, and he's releasing it in March because he said it will stay in the theaters longer if he puts it out in September, October. Mm -hmm. In addition to everything else, there people are just right. Yeah, TV and whatever else. That's com- that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more than like a week or two. <laughs> exactly. I think one week is pretty average at this point. Who's in it model 
get the schedule and Depends, I suppose. I mean, do you make? Do you have a daily discipline? Do you make something every day? Do you shoot something every day? Do you write something every day? I've seen it. I've seen it. That was was that about a year ago or so or Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or Baraka. That's the one for you? Yeah. Yeah, I'll put a trailer up or something. Like a black widow.
yet the freedom of experimentation and allegory and the metaphor that you can play that's not in super plot-driven narratives. So this this leads me like I'm, I've been thinking. You're you're kind of saying a lot of things that are. It makes me think. Um, you know, you're, you're under the skin makes me think of this. When you talk about Tarkovsky, this makes me think of this. You've mentioned poetry many times. I saw a picture of you and William Burroughs. Is that who that is up there? I did a series called the United States of Poetry. Okay. That's what I was wondering because I think for I think Tarkovsky. When I watch Tarkovsky, for example, I, I look at it as if it's a visual poem. I don't really look at it as a, a narrative as much, although there is obviously like in Solaris or other ones. I mean, obviously, there's, there, but I, I don't look at it that way. I look at it like kind of just letting it wash over you like you would listen to a symphony or something, but it's a visual one. Do you know what I mean? And, and yes, I know exactly what in my brain. And when coming out of MTV, we would edit starting with promos, 15 second, 30 second, 60 second music first. You would use music and mix the music and the voiceover then cut pictures on top of it. That's how I was trained. So even when I made 30-minute collages, a show called Buzz in 1990 was 13 30-minute collages. Burroughs was our influence. It was a cut-up thematic collage. We take a theme and pre-mix the music. Little stories, the way, way, way ahead of its time. What BuzzFeed or any little two-minute quasi-mini-doc Two-minute stories, three-minute stories, minute-long profiles, portraits, commentary, observation, music. No host. The the the, the narrator was Burroughs' voice and projection. So it's like <laughs> kind of acid. I think I remember that. Very, very, very ahead of its time. Kind of like too avant-garde for the time. Uh-huh. Right. Nineteen ninety one, the internet as we know it had not exploded. Right. So Zoo TV took that kind of cut up Burroughs multi image, multi barrage, collage aesthetic. Zoo TV blasted it out and the internet exploded, right? And that was M T V in its prime. Mm-hmm. Traveled cross country and filmed 75 poets from a unknown to Lawrence Ferlinghetti to Nobel Prize winners and made five half hour films interpreting their poems with visuals and music. Wow. And in that, sometimes it was the poet just reading the poem, sometimes it was a narrative, sometimes it was experimental. It took many, many, many forms, and the idea was as a portrait of America's revealed through the language. Mm hmm. Most of my videos, 
90% of my videos are not performance videos. I like having the narrator, the singer, but I've done five videos where people drum. Normally, I don't really care about shooting a drummer. Foo Fighters I love, certain bands I love, but I'm much more interested in the expression of the lyrics or the mm -hmm. ideas. Certainly in the early to mid-90s, I hadn't made a movie yet, so I was really into narratives. Pearl Jam, mm -hmm. Chains, One of my favorite bands. Is Rooster, right? Was it Ellison Change? So that's about the the Vietnam vet father, right? Right, right. So I looked at that. I did an anthrax video where when I ran out all the imagery that I wanted to tell the story, it was like 18 minutes. So I was overstucking the form of music video because I was itching to do a movie. I knew in my growth I needed to go tell a longer story. So then when you go make a movie, you're like, oh, I get it. You can then look at videos where they three or four or five minutes given and do what's right for that time. Other times you can add a little prologue at the beginning or at the end or, you know, you can expand it a little bit, but you can only, ex you know, you can't take a 1,700 square foot house and suddenly make it 6,000 square feet. Right, right. It just doesn't work. Not it's the same. To dwarf it, right? So each each medium has its own, I think, limitations. And then videos changed, right? Videos changed, the budget got smaller, and mm -hmm. TV stopped playing videos all the time. The form itself never died, it just trans it it was it, it was making its transformation distribution wise onto the internet. YouTube basically. And people just started making their own videos and you know, it didn't debase the form. It just shifted. It yeah. just changed. It changed, and then pop and hip hop and R and B and Kanye and Beyonce just have done amazing work in that. Started to really dominate it culturally, and rock stopped becoming actually the dominant. Right. That's true. That's true. Musical form, you know, like grunge and U two, and then like it just it started to fade. And as MTV, as MTV started to fade, that started to take a backseat huh. to the selfie culture, pop culture, identity, image-driven, right. Right. narcissistic right. culture that we're in now. So ideas and social commentary take a backseat to surface. Right. To And conformity. There's a conformity is part of the culture, I think, too, isn't it? From beginning to now. Yeah. 
turned on by stuff. So I try to let go of the nowness or a, a few places yeah. just to see, but I, I could drive myself crazy trying to like... Because there's so much. Or trying to compare or just say, how do I stay? You know what I mean? You just, just got to go with your... You, you just got to go with your gut and, you know, like... In the beginning, though, what would you watch? Well, let's say before this existed, before nowness and all this stuff, did you like, uh, did you watch, I don't know, did you look at Stan Brackage stuff or Maya Darren's or like experimental people at all? Or, all or was it just, was it like reading? So you did all that shit. Yeah. Six frames 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so punk rock, though. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Because it could not move fast enough for me. Yeah. And I would look at music videos that filmmakers did. I remember there was a video that Sam Peckinpah did for Julian Lennon. Did he really? I got to find that. Yeah, he did one. Jonathan Demme and Jennifer for New Order. And I was like, they're so slow. Oh my God, these features, they're so slow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bring it down. And I showed it to my assistant at the time. I said, So, so speaking of that, uh, was Arlington Road the was that your first feature? Was that your first second one? Oh right, okay. With a young Ben Affleck and Rachel. Nice. I'm gonna have to put a trailer up for that. Where's McGowan? Wow. And I watched it literally every first time movie mistake. Yeah. Really? You went from that crazy shit that you were just talking about the, to the... <laughs> I loved Arlington Road, by the way. I really, really loved that movie. So this, and and still different now that you're starting to kind of sound like, like almost a seventies, nineteen seventies era filmmaker. Well, are you? See where I am after ten movies. 
And where are you right now? You're at about f- six? Six. Yeah, I don't, I don't count Lone as a feature film. So this is where we started, actually, that I'd like to touch on real quick. Six. Which one? Six? Okay. Six narrative features. I can't. I want to get to ten, and then have this conversation again. Absolutely, and then this is how we started. Actually, before we started recording, you were talking about um, all the movies that you want to make. Yeah. Interesting. So I hired him to write the script that we have a great script around now trying to get made for about a million bucks. But if I look at all the ideas and all the projects, I was like, God, if somebody just gave me 25 million bucks in 10 years, I could keep myself busy. Yeah. Completely. Like 5 million for that movie, 3 million for that one, maybe a limited TV series, maybe that might right. Do you, do you, That's the, that would be a fantasy. And would, would they, would, so we're not going to go, let's see what we got. We'll go like about 10 more minutes here, five more minutes. We're, not, we're almost done. I would love that. But I'm curious before we go, before, for this one, like as far as choosing what you want to do, from what I know of you. And, well, that's, that's where I'm getting to actually with. Well, let's say I melt with you, for example. I know from what I know of you and what I've seen of you, uh, what you've done. You're 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 a really sensitive guy. You're you're clearly a really sensitive guy. The who wears your heart on your sleeve, and I think so. I'm I'm assuming that um, like that film, for example, came out of a need rather than. Oh, wow. Guillermo loved Mothman, chose me to do it, and they could never get a cast, could never get the budget oh. for the actress cast, could never get that made. Another movie called Solace, that was at New Line at the time. The budget, the economy collapsed, the budget shrunk, suddenly they had to go to travel out of state. I had a four-year-old daughter at the time. I wasn't really up for traveling at that point with 
her, taking care of her as a single dad. Mm-hmm. That opportunity went away. Very, very frustrated by the business of, of movies and felt very powerless. I also, to personally confide, had been sober, had relapsed because my mother had passed away. So I was in a not a great space. To say the least. And was making some videos on the 5D that I really loved. This band Alpha Rev, New Morning, love that video. Made a Moby video for a thousand dollars. So I was making these things. Wow. Like a horses video with a great DP, Eric Schmidt, and my assistant, Matt Rowe, who now shoots for me. We were making these things on the 5D that was so immediate and so easy and so cheap and beautiful that's like, fuck it, let's make a movie like this. Let's just make a movie like this. What can I do cheap? A friend of mine had made a movie for $750,000 in the Cayman Islands. Showed me the movie. Not wholly successful, but I was like, one location. That's interesting. And I remembered a script that my friend Glenn had written. Glenn Porter had written the script based on a French film called Le Grand Bouffe about men that eat themselves to death. Well, he had rewritten it as this kind of his version of husbands. Uh Uh-huh. A mediation on a midlife crisis. I was 47 at the time. It really spoke to me. And I realized that there was a lot addiction and all these dark, fucked up things that in myself needed to kind of get out of it. Right. So I looked at the film as an allegory on male failure. And these characters all represented something in me that I needed to just destroy. And in that script, found that said, what's the sad, what is this union scale, low budget number? 625. I said, can I make a movie for 625,000? Literally got a budget down to about six, which was enough to get somebody who said, okay, I'm interested in fronting the money. I started fronting it myself. Picked Big Sur, it was set on the East Coast, said Big Sur, Great casting director, got it out. Within one day, Tom Jane, Guy Pierce, and Jeremy Piven all committed to the movie. Guy dropped Not out. Not bad. Low came in, but again, kind of meaty actor bait material. Mm-hmm. And literally from the time we said let's make it to the time we shot it was a, was less than three months. Okay. I took That's insane. Soderbergh to lunch. I said, would you ever put your own money into a movie? He said, absolutely. He had done that with Schizopolis. Two, he goes, you have to will a movie into happening. You just have to say, this movie's happening. You have to tell the community it's happening. You have to say, this movie's happening. Right? And you have to put your money where your mouth is. So we did it. Great producer named Aaron Gilbert ended up coming in for the bulk of the money. He just produced Birth of a Nation. Okay. Great guy. I ended up putting the rest in. Totally lost my shirt on it. Doesn't matter. We'll do it again. But we made it. So from the time we said let's make it to the time it showed at Sundance was five months. So that That's insane. <laughs> should have shown it to an audience. Maybe yeah. Should have made a shorter version. Doesn't matter. Should have, would have, could have. Right? Doesn't matter. You make what you make. You live by what you make. You learn by what you make. It's always out there forever. I can read comments on it now. 
I get emails from people now. I get hits on my website from people who send me something to say, I saw the movie, how it spoke to them. You can read a comment that says, this is shit. doesn't matter. It's out there. It's not on my computer. It's not on my, like, boy, I really want to make this, right? Yeah. Which is really yeah. sad sometimes. You're like, fuck, how am I going to make this? So I'm like, maybe it's a novel. Maybe it's a play. I've got stuff now. It's like my cousin is a theater director. So how much to put on a play in a black box, 60-seat theater, like the Rogue Theater, like any of these smaller places in the Hollywood right. or Pico? She goes, 40000 Like, Because if you have a story you want to, really want to tell, get actors, put it in a black box. I'm like, I'm literally thinking about that now. What story can I do for that? That's raise, super cool. To raise $40,000 is a lot easier than raising 400000 If you just say... Where's your balance of meal for the real? Mm-hmm. You can't pay your bills doing $40,000 plays or making $5,000 videos. But what's your revenue stream? Ah, so I will do a pilot. I'll do a commercial. I'll do whatever it takes to provide the income to raise my kid and have the creative freedom to say, that's the one I want to do. Risk or freedom is only based on the resources to be able to take the risk. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of young DPs. People say, oh, I want to do things. I said, just go make it. Yeah. Well, no, just go make it. I fucking love that, though. I love that. But it's true. Let me let me just one last thing before we wrap it up. I'm just curious because uh, this show, this whole show, is basically sort of around the idea of uh, you mentioned Peck and Pa, you mentioned uh, some of these masculine issues, and I met with you. This show is sort of about um, Hemingway or these kind of guys. It's about sort of the revival of kind of guys, guys artists or creative, you know, creative types in some way, and you. I'm just curious. Your, your father was a big NFL star, right? He wasn't a star, but he was a successful well, linebacker. For like 12 years or something, right? I would say that's that qualifies. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in, in a pretty, I would say, kind of tough guy environment then, and you, you're around that kind of thing. Yeah. So did you, was there any conflict for you? And you played football, yes or no? I played nice yeah. The cross. And you're, you're a big guy, like your dad. Did you ever have any conflict? Was it ever something that was hard for you to become, to do what you're doing now? Was there ever any pushback? Or was there ever any thing where you felt like you had to, like, you weren't taken seriously from coming from that kind of thing or something like that? I think that, you know, I think, I remember one time in doing a commercial in 1991 when I started doing commercials. People had seen Buzz and seen some videos and seen my MTV stuff. When they met me, they thought I was, like, small and British. <laughs> so, I think that is like can maybe sometimes throw somebody, but I think once you get to know somebody, like the passion or intensity or whatever, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter. The proof is in the work. Yeah. Yeah, like some people, like I've definitely felt it, been in meetings and like, mm, is it, you know, or like, that's what I mean. Yeah. 
but I think that's such bullshit. It's just no, there's no, you know. Right. Sure. Sure. Korean lesbian filmmakers. There's so many different kind of filmmakers. There's, there's female filmmakers that make more violent shit than I do. Right. There's female filmmakers that are fetishized guns and like spaghetti western shit way more than I'm into. Uh huh. You know right, I mean? right. And there's just way too many different um, weapons and ammunition and films and filmmakers and. Right. So, but yes, I have definitely faced, I think, raised eyebrows when I walk into rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. All right. Right, right, right. Well, do, is there anything we're going to wrap it up because we you actually have gone longer than we've planned on. Is there anything that uh, that maybe I didn't talk about or ask that maybe we're hoping I did or want to touch on or we'll do another one for sure? But yeah. certain mistakes that I would make again and other ones like what have I learned so what can I teach back and inspire artists filmmakers yeah. to to do you know because it's hard it's a hard path when you choose to you know I meet young filmmakers I meet old filmmakers I meet people trying to break into the business to say it's not the business it's the what do you do and all our job is those who have been there to be like look out for this don't trust this trust this yeah. Buy this, you know, that's your, I think that's, and I think the business, Hollywood, I think is really good at passing down. I think it's a very benevolent, I think people will always help people. I, I think in general, people have been very kind to me over the years, and I've learned and I've sat in a fucking music editing session with Terrence Malick. Holy I shit, that's, the, or next time we talk, we're talking about that. Dad, who we talk about memory, it's like very inspirational, seeing him move Talk about visual poetry, too. Yeah. Really? Play 
because it affects it. It yeah. affects where it is. Absolutely. And that was a 45-minute lesson that I got. So, great. Like I always tell my assistants, like people that work with me, be with me at the beginning, middle, and end. And that's the best way to learn. See something in script form. See it being made. See the choices being made. See the process. Then see the editing of it. Again, see the process. All the way through the distribution and marketing of it. Because then you see that's the best way to learn. Just to see it all right. the way through. Because each one is fraught with... And there's good people. There's just good people in this business. There's great people who want inspirational art. And there's no crime in making money. There's, you know, it's again just that Absolutely. Dude, we got to talk again, for sure. There's a lot of shit to talk. I really appreciate it, man. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks. So that was Mark Pellington, you guys. And we are planning another show, like we said in this episode. So if you want to, uh, if you have any suggestions, questions or anything about that or about anything else on the blog or show, you can always email me at triumphindisasterblog at gmail.com. Triumphindisasterblog at gmail.com. And I'll get back to you. I answer everyone. Um... So I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you did, like I say at the end of every show, it really does help. I almost hate saying this, but it does help. If you just go to iTunes and just leave a quick rating and review, it just helps uh, Apple to promote the show. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of Triumph of Disaster. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 